Hello and welcome to the Magic Ball from Burkamp Podcast. I am your host, Sam. I'm known as that official Sam on Twitter. Uh, instead of a normal intro today, guys, we've got a very special guest or who we've had before. We've got Mr. Ben Jacobs from Twitter. Hello. Good evening, Ben. How are you doing? I'm good, Sam. I'm not actually from Twitter, though. I don't live on Twitter, so to speak. I should say that I work for CBS, so let's begin by giving them a plug. But I am seen on Twitter, let's just say, by certain Arsenal fans. Oh, dear. I'm gonna, I'm, we're, gonna, we're gonna reintroduce that. Good evening, guys. We've got Ben Jacobs from CBS. As Again, I'm very, very ecstatic to have you on Ben I'm very very ecstatic sorry for the bad intro but um, I'm very ecstatic to have you on I'm very over the moon to have you on and uh, I understand today you know you've taken your time out which is an absolute pleasure to have you on this evening on, on my on my podcast you know it's, it's always a pleasure to have you on um, especially how you work for CBS I'm a massive fan of yourself and to have you on is an absolute it's is amazing but without further ado we're going to begin straight away Ben so every Arsenal fan is jumping at the Mudrick news what can you tell us so far, Ben? Well, I think we're seeing a lot of premature reports on Michaelo Mudrik in the sense that there is no done deal at the time of recording, either formally or, of course, verbally. But things are moving in the right direction. And to clarify what we mean by that, the clubs are still in talks, both direct and also through intermediaries. And doing a deal with Shakhtar is not easy. It's atypical within the industry. So it's not specific to Mudrik. Just generally, business with Shakhtar requires local knowledge and a lot more voices and also a strong relationship, not just with their sporting department, but the president as well, who's quite bullish, especially mid-season. And Shakhtar's perspective on Mudrik is that, yes, they will sell him now if a deal is reached to their advantage. But by the same token, if they hang on to him in the summer, I don't think Shakhtar really feel that the value will necessarily drop significantly. But obviously what Arsenal have, and Mikel Arteta referenced this, is buy-in from Mudrik, who dreams about moving to Arsenal, who's spoken to Zinchenko, who is dropping clues on social media. Not that that always means too much. And that player desire, even though he's very respectful of the club where he currently plays, definitely will help Arsenal here. And fans are going to have to be patient because, of course, things do move quickly in the January window. But the whole tactic from Arsenal has been to drive the price and the package down. And that's what's taking place at the moment. And the more time that passes in the window, the more Shakhtar are likely to concede on that overall package. And don't focus too much on the number because the number doesn't mean too much. It's about the structure of the deal. If you call it 100 million, but it's add-on heavy and those add-ons are not gettable, then 100 million doesn't mean too much. And similarly, if Arsenal stick to their valuation and it's got a healthy guaranteed fee and the add-ons are gettable, then a number well below 100 million euros could well get the deal done. So it's about how likely the add-ons are, how many of them there are, maybe a sell-on percentage even potentially as well, which could earn Shakhtar some money if Mudrik ever ended up moving on. And then in addition to that, the simplest aspect that has had progress made on it is just the amount that will actually be the guaranteed fee. So Arsenal's opening bid was a amount in terms of the guaranteed of around 40 million euros, which was deemed to be far too low. And ever since it's crept up 
And the second bid, which all in, including the add-ons, was just under 70 million euros, hasn't been accepted. But I think that it's very important to stress there's a grey area here because not in a football manager sense, if you like, does a bid that is formal just get rejected and then you circle back and make a new one. After you've made one or two bids, there's a verbal back and forth. And there were definitely aspects within the second bid that were preferable to Shakhtar. So it becomes a working skeleton to get a deal done. And therefore the parties then move after that second bid to more verbal back and forth. And we had that on Monday and Tuesday of this week. And now there's much more of a consensus around the guaranteed fee amount, but the overall package from Shakhtar's perspective still needs to have a larger number of add-ons and a more attainable criteria for those add-ons. And that's where we're at at the moment. So naturally, Shakhtar have still got a few weeks on their side, which is why they're being bullish. And I think that they're using the fact that Mudrik went to a training camp in Turkey to their advantage because it sends a message to Arsenal that for the player, it has to be business as usual. But the good news for Arsenal is that with the Mudrik buy-in and the fact that it's not looking particularly likely that Chelsea will enter the race, Shakhtar can't create a bidding war. And Arsenal have always stuck to their valuation and guns, which means that they believe time will eventually be on their side. Perhaps not today, perhaps not tomorrow, but over the course of maybe the next week or so, time ticks away and then Arsenal is still very optimistic. And when you consider that Arsenal have termed Mudrik their priority. Yes, they wanted Jawa Felix to, if they could, but a different circumstance because they were never prepared to pay the value for a straight loan that Atleti were asking for and Chelsea were. So Arsenal walked away because they didn't see any sense in that deal. But with Mudrik, it's the opposite. They've always seen sense in the deal. They've just not seen sense in the price. And the fact that they're still at the table can be very encouraging because they're not the kind of club, especially in a short window, to keep taking meetings, to keep pushing, to keep retaining optimism if they actually believe that a deal won't get done. And this is why Arsenal continue to feel like at some point in the next maybe week or so, they will get a breakthrough that allows Mikhailo Mudrik to move from a optimistic target and a priority target to actually an Arsenal player. Fantastic. I think that's one of the news every Arsenal fan wants to hear about, you know, Mudrik. So we'll, we'll say we'll say this, Ben. If, for example, the deal is moving closer, when would you predict that it could happen? Say, for example, we're, we're hearing that it's getting it's getting closer, it's getting closer. But when do you think when do you think that where can you predict? I think, you know, this is when this is when the transfer could potentially happen. Well, I think it's irresponsible for a journalist to be making predictions because we don't have a magic transport eight ball. We have sources and negotiation works in mysterious ways. So the worst thing I think anybody can do in the transfer window is get caught up in the day or deadline or time scale. It's more about the process. And if a target is moving in the right direction, then this is a very short window. So it's not like summer where perhaps you want a bit more of a time scale because it's months long and there's likely to be more incomings and therefore clubs do try and get deals done early. And if they're not done, they move on to other targets and perhaps re- revisit them later in the window. But with something like Mudrik, Arsenal couldn't care less whether he arrives tomorrow or in a week's time. Yes, 
to some degree, they would like to integrate any new signing as quick as possible, especially with a congested January. But by the same token, a week or two doesn't really make the blindest bit of difference in the bigger picture. So I think that people, and I understand why, want from journalists the headline. Is Mudrick going to join? Yes or no? When's he going to join? Tell us. When will he be announced officially? And these are the kind of things that you're swinging in the dark to some extent, not because we don't have knowledge of situations and not because sources don't tell us the direction of travel. And of course, when a deal is done, but if there is a lack of agreement on guaranteed fee and bonuses today, then I can't tell you if that's going to be resolved tomorrow or the next day. So there will be a Arsenal deadline on this because they will want to leave time should they choose to move in a similar position in the market for another name. And I think that Arsenal won't want to leave empty-handed from Mudrick and Felix. So if it heads in that direction, they would then want to look at other targets from a creative-minded and an attack-minded perspective, whether loan or permanent, to make sure that they do add some form of depth and goals and talent in that area. And I think, therefore, you don't want this type of deal to drag on to the final hours of the window unless deep down you're relatively confident that that's just a Shakhtar tactic and eventually it will still get done. So only Arsenal can predict the exact timescale. We can talk generally and sources continue to say that within the next week or so, they're hopeful of getting a breakthrough. But if it's not in the next week or so, we head into the final two weeks of the window. And if Arsenal are still at the table, it's going to have to get done quickly. So I always say the same thing during January that it is a sellers, not buyers market, which presents challenges for any club. And it's such a short window that for those that obsess, whether it's a today, a tomorrow, a Saturday signing and so on, they're kind of just wasting energy compared to just following the direction of travel and having confidence in the January window that if their club remains at the table, of course, they're optimistic because you haven't got time in a January window to keep coming back to the table unless you think that you're going to be able to do a successful piece of business. And if you look at other clubs, you see that in their failures. And this is quite telling. The clue in your team's business is never usually in the success. It's in the failure. Because if you have a successful signing, they arrive. And of course, then the amount paid the length of the deal, the narrative behind how it happened, it all changes because the player's not going to say, I joined this club and they were my second choice. The player's not going to say, I didn't quite get the wages I was asking for because they've joined your club. So everyone's going to say, priority target, done deal. But if you look at your club's failures, you start to see why they were failures and also understand how quickly your team moved. And there's an example of that in Manchester United and Liverpool and the chase of Cody Gakpo, that Manchester United went to the player and Liverpool went to the club and Liverpool put an offer down and Manchester United didn't. With Jawa Felix, Arsenal did the due diligence quickly and if they wanted to move, they could have moved long before Chelsea and also long before this whole Mudrick saga because the exploratory discussions took place last year before the window even opened. But Arsenal very quickly said, we're going to pay you a maximum of five million as a loan fee. And if that's not acceptable, we'll walk away. And Manchester United did exactly the same thing. If you look at Chelsea and Enzo Fernandez, they very quickly said, here's our offer. It's not as high as you might think. 
take it or leave it. And Benfica got annoyed and said, I thought you were going to pay us more. So now it's the release clause or nothing. But in that, you see where Chelsea's top end is. You see what Arsenal were prepared to pay for Jawa Felix. And therefore you get a clue as to budgets and how quickly the club work and when they choose to walk away. So with Mudrick, it is, and I know it's frustrating for fans, just a case of being very patient about the situation because those that are not patient start demanding what date will the deal be done? And the date the deal is done in the January window, which is quick anyway, is irrelevant. The direction of travel is what's important. And as long as Arsenal are still at the table, they can have confidence that they'll make the signing eventually. I agree. I agree. I do apologise if that question was worded incorrectly. but either way, like like you mentioned, you know, with with Arsenal, you know, the case the case is whether or not they're gonna go. They are this this on the table. I mean, they've done, you know, they did the right thing moving away from the Jao Felix thing, you know, with the fact that Chelsea paid that eleven million. I believe was it the nine million fee? Was it or eleven million? I couldn't couldn't get. I, I didn't couldn't see the figure properly. But for example, that and then they were to, and then you know for Jao Felix to sign another contract wasn't great, ideally, but um. What one last question before we do wrap this uh, very short podcast up, Ben? Um, can you? Is there any other incomings you could potentially see Arsenal having? Do you, do you see Arsenal maybe targeting another area in the January window? Uh, because there's lots of talk about centre mid, but in my opinion, I think they'll probably leave that for the summer. But do you happen to see anything for now? Well, I think the first thing to say is clubs always keep open the possibility, especially because that traditionally festive congestion has been pushed into January because of the World Cup. And therefore, one more injury or even just evidence in a game that Arsenal need to strengthen might persuade Mikel Arteta, whether it's a loan or in a permanent deal. When we talk about midfielders, I think that Tielemans and also Milinkovic-Savic are the ones that come to mind. It's going to be really difficult for anybody to get Milinkovic-Savic mid-season, but the contract is ticking down. So there's a possibility, therefore, that a club like Arsenal, but there's many others looking at him as well, may choose to move. But I think that it is far less likely in January than in the summer. But at the back of Arsenal fans' minds, and also no doubt still Mikel Arteta, we remember that towards the end of the summer, Arsenal wanted Douglas Luiz and failed to get him. So maybe there's still a feeling that that's an area that Arsenal would like to strengthen. So Milinkovic-Savic, everybody knows, is a quality player. He is 27. It's worth pointing that out. And if he moves in the summer, he'll be 28 because he turns that age in February. And again, Lazio have said for many windows now, and certainly since the summer, that in an ideal world, they would like to try and keep the player. But as things stand, there's a window of opportunity because of the contract situation. Still summer, though, more likely than January. And from Arsenal's point of view, all they've really done is made contact with the player side, which I would call more due diligence than any kind of advanced movement or clue. And this is what clubs do. They look at what's out there in the market. They keep in touch with agents. And that's not just over players they want to sign. It's other players that have similar profiles that they can then use as yardsticks and transfers. And then, of course, in midfield, the other one is Yuri Tielemans, who we also know doesn't want to sign a new deal at Leicester. And Leicester is struggling. And the situation, much like with Lazio, from Leicester's point of view, is the same. That they would ideally 
like to keep Tielemans and James Madison, by the way, as well, who Newcastle are very much courting until the end of the season. And you can understand why, because Leicester are struggling and to stay up, they might be better off with what they've got than trying to sell and then replace them, especially in such a short window. So if Arsenal move for Tielemans, the preference would be on a free transfer and that will be in the summer. And then we have to wait and see whether winning the Premier League, should they do that, qualifying for Champions League and so on, provides additional budget and needs and resources that change the strategy. Because let's not forget, when Arsenal first approached Tielemans, it was actually last January. And then by the summer, they brought in Fabio Vieira and decided that the midfield was enough. And that's normal that you would keep some of your targets towards the end of the window and look at the chemistry. And Arsenal made such a positive start to the season that Arteta was happy. And also that Tielemans fee was still a bit higher than Arsenal wanted to pay. But on the player side, there was full buy-in to join Arsenal. Now, Arsenal may say, we don't need Tielemans immediately. And if we wanted him in January, we'd still have to pay a fee. So then you look at the summer on a free transfer and he becomes an absolute bargain who can add depth and goals. And as he's shown at Leicester, leadership as well in the middle of the park. And he's been given the captain's armband at Leicester in certain games. So even though people always say, why is nothing changing with Tielemans and why didn't he join and so on? The reason is just out of Arsenal preference. They've kept him on the radar because they know that they probably could sign him if they chose to move either on a free or alternatively with a fee. And that's because Yuri Tielemans is very much sold on the Arsenal project, but he's not going to wait around all day. So the Tielemans situation is a little bit different because if Leicester were, and it is a big if, be persuaded by a financial offer in January and it's Newcastle that are the club to watch in that respect, then Arsenal might be forced to move because then they would have to weigh up. Do they want to lose out on Tielemans or can they persuade Tielemans to reject anything in January and sign him on a free or are they still undecided? In which case, if they don't move and they're undecided, then Tielemans will say, well, I can't turn down a January offer at a club like Newcastle that is flying if you can't categorically tell me you'll be back for me on a free transfer in the summer. And coming back to what we said before, this is why as journalists, context is important because those are the three scenarios. And it's not a case of giving you a yes, no, black, white, because each of those within how the market moves could transpire and alter Arsenal's thinking as to how they choose to move and therefore at this stage it would sort of be irresponsible to say they're definitely going to do this or that on a player like Yuri Tielemans but that is the accurate context as things stand and then I think the final name to bring up even though we're now moving away from midfield is centre-back And we know, by the way, internally with William Saliba that the aim is still to agree a new deal. It's probably of the ones that are outstanding, the hardest one, not because he doesn't like it at Arsenal, but just because his head might be turned by other offers. And also the package that he's looking for is relatively high. But there's always been confidence that Arsenal will get that done. So saying it's the most difficult of the deals is only a comparative point. It doesn't mean that there's a low likelihood of him signing. And I think that Martinelli is the one that is the easiest to get done. He said recently a pen just needs to be handed to him. And then with Bakaya Saka, he's untouchable in the short term. But I think it's about negotiating clauses because maybe the player will want a contract that's a little bit in his favour. So in the future, further down the line, if the project takes a turn for the worse, 
he'll have an opportunity to go and join a team that maybe had Champions League football if Arsenal don't. And then Arsenal will take all of that and particularly the Saliba situation and maybe feel that they still need reinforcements in the centre-back position. And that's where Evan and Dicker comes in, who knows Saliba really well and is at Eintracht Frankfurt and won't be signing a new contract and obviously therefore becomes a hotly pursued player and Arsenal will be in the conversation. It wouldn't surprise me, even though Chelsea have signed Badia Shield and they've got Wesley Fofana coming back, if they enter the conversation. But there'll be many, many clubs. And I think the only thing to underline on that is that not only is there interest from outside and inside the Premier League, but it's not true to my understanding that Arsenal have got any kind of pre-agreement. So we can't call Arsenal favourites for that deal. We can simply say that they're in the race for the player. I, I agree 100%. Um, you know, because a lot of the rumours fly about, but there's nothing certain, there's nothing concrete, nothing has, in a sense, you know, been agreed. There's nothing, you know, nothing there that, you know, even for myself that I'd say that, yeah, it's happening because the reports are conflicting. But we will eventually find that out as time goes on. I think with this January window, it's more difficult. It's more the case of it's about clubs who are, you know, like you said, it's very hard to buy in the January window than it is in the summer. So, but yeah. But uh, Ben, I understand you have another uh, meeting to go to. Uh, so once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, at times a million for coming on my podcast. It means absolutely a lot to myself. Um, thank you for your insight on the Modric deal, because it will put a lot of people's mind at ease that, you know, you know, with the with the news, you can only you can only give, you know, what what you get. But the one thing, there's things you can't rule out. There's things you can't predict. There's things you can't say for definite. Because if it doesn't happen, then people are gonna say, "Well, you said this," and then you know, it just causes a whole lot of you know issues, which you know shouldn't happen. But what I yeah. can what what I can say is, you know, for a fact, you are doing a good job. You know, uh, you know, your work on Twitter highly appreciated. Like like I said. Um, you know, it's it's a pleasure having you on. I'm very happy to have you on because I, when I see your tweets, I I know for a fact with yourself, it's you're straight to the point. You're straight to the point. You know, there's 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 not there's nothing other we can we can do about that. But Ben, um, once again, thank you so much for coming onto this podcast and thank you for taking your time out to come on. I understand you've got another meeting to go to, so we're going to wrap this podcast up. Uh, once again, thank you for everybody listening. Thank you for. Uh, tuning into the Magic Ball from Burkham podcast and once again thank you Ben good night everybody